Hi, this is Kane Hodder, Victor Crowley, Jason from Friday the 13th. You're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. of decapitation without and i'm nasty neil i'm joined by legendary composer and musician and member of goblin maurizio gorani how are you doing tonight great neil how are you excellent excellent how's everybody good yeah i understand yeah yeah it's excellent it's great great to have you very excited uh i'm happy you're doing this so uh i understand that you're uh, you're doing a tour for uh, a live score for Dante's Inferno. Yeah, it's uh, you're putting together the tour. There are already a few dates uh, uh, because this, 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 I started this project last year. And since it was very successful, in the few shows that I did, I decided to do a tour with it. Well, when did the idea come about? Was it your idea, or did someone uh, come to you? No, actually, um, the director of the Italian Institute of Culture last year um, had this idea because the um, Italian consulate did something regarding Dante Inferno, like a literature thing. And then uh, the director of the IAC in Toronto said, why don't you try to do a, a live soundtrack of this movie? It's great. And I saw mm-hmm. that the movie is actually... Great, incredible! It's more than hundred year old, but mm-hmm. I took the, the chance to do it. I did it. Yeah. Had, had you seen the movie before, or was that your first time seeing it? Oh no, the first time, and uh, I, I was surprised that 
I, I discovered a lot of stuff about that movie. That was the first feature length movie made in Italy ever. So uh, not horror, mm-hmm. but in general. And uh, there was no sound in the movies at that time yet. So not mm-hmm. invent. So it's 1911. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. So when when you sit to write a score, does it? What's that process like? Does uh, does music come to your mind, or uh, what? You know, how, how does that uh, come to be? Yeah, let's say that uh, every time is a bit different, depending on the movie, depending on the situation. In this case, I saw the movie uh, several times before trying to get an idea, and uh, uh, since uh, it's everything is open, right? There's no guidelines, so you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I I. So that there were some other people did some even not totally all the movies part of the movie that soundtracks but they were always like uh, I don't know sort of not harmonic or maybe more noisy more avant-garde stuff I decided to go mm-hmm. to, on the classical side <laughs> so on the other side mm-hmm. so I make it very very classical so uh, adventures and uh, a bit of electronic. So you have to, to decide what the imagine inspires you, right? Uh, every time. Mm-hmm. It's so far away. I think I did uh, uh, a good job in terms of if the director was uh, still alive, I he would like this, this approach to the yeah. soundtrack. Uh-huh. Yeah. You said there are no guidelines. Do you prefer to work that way, or do you prefer um, if someone is more hands-on and has like an idea of where I want you to go? Well, of course, this is a nice question. Uh, let's say that both uh, ways have uh, pros and cons. No guidelines means uh, total freedom, but total freedom means mm-hmm. too many choices and maybe it's more difficult to, to get a, a direction. If you have some a guideline, uh, of course, you, you have you, that narrow your, your choices and maybe it's easier that you find a way. Uh, let's say, yeah, a little bit in between. Uh, no guideline means the external guideline, but of course the, the guideline is, um, yeah, you have the, the, the movie. You have to get inspired, so just you leave something mm-hmm. to your instincts and maybe something comes out, for sure. Mm-hmm. So how, how long is a pro- how long did it, did it take you to uh, come up with the, with the total score for the movie? Oh, let's say... I work ten days, or maybe a week, ten days, just to to decide the, the structure of the things and then to compose the basic themes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a quick process, even because I, I didn't have much time. It's, it's not like a soundtrack uh, that you can spend months <laughs> or things. So <laughs> yeah. I, I did uh, something and. Uh, I left something to a little bit of improvisation, but uh, it's not. So there's every scene as a theme. But that mm-hmm. part longer, like uh, um, maybe the, the one very dynamic, uh, I left uh, myself to a little bit of space for improvising in some some part as well. So every, every time it's a mm-hmm. bit, some parts are a bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple years ago, I was... I went to see Phantom of the Opera a couple of years ago with a live orchestra, and it was a really powerful experience to have the music right there, you know, while you're watching the movie. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a different. We are not used to do that, but uh, I think that the very first history of movies was like that. There was the, the silent movie and the musician, maybe with a piano, or maybe you know, there's rolling piano, or maybe two or three musicians playing live every time. So there is more participation, something live that makes the things a little bit more interesting for the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, were you always uh, were you always into movies? Were you always a movie fan? Uh, I mean, uh, like uh, watching the movies. Yeah, I always like watching yeah. movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> what inspired you to uh, to get into music? Uh, normally, what inspired me is uh, okay. Uh, it, it's a lot of things altogether. Some. Uh, when I was young, like a teenager, uh, I was uh, maybe attracted by the, I don't know, some movie, especially horror movies, with dissonant strings and stuff. And since I was starting playing, right, rock with friends, I said, I start trying to do something different from what was normally doing chords and uh, or play songs with the other thing. So uh, it, it was fascinating knowing that uh, with a keyboard or with an instrument, you can do something different uh, than just playing in a, like a band or rock or whatever we were doing when we were 14 years old, right? So mm-hmm. I was totally uh, started listening soundtracks without any um, official way to study, just listening, trying, trying to understand mm-hmm. what was going on there. So it always been something like uh, really interesting for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, how did you uh, how did you get involved in Goblin? Uh, through common friends. Uh, that was 1975, just a few years ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> 43 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was playing with the bands, you know, the jam session and stuff, and there was a guitar player uh, that the new Massimo Morante from Goblin and um, basically he asked him if he knew a keyboard player he, he knew him he knew me the story was like uh, they uh, I didn't uh, participate in the recording of the very first uh, Profondo Rosso that he read but uh, mm-hmm. just after the, the movie they needed to put together a band and the keyboard player originally from Goblin it wasn't available, so they they contacted me. Actually, we did the first lineup to play live. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, was contacted by the the guitar player Massimo Morante. Uh, we played a little bit together, and uh, we liked each other. And I said, "Yeah, let's let's start." <laughs> and I <laughs> I started playing with them. Mm-hmm. Did you you were with them uh, for we did the score for Suspiria? Yes, but uh, something happened during the recording, like fighting mm-hmm. things. Oh, and basically, I, I left. I left the the, the band in uh, these days in uh, November 1976. Unfortunately, uh, after this argument, I'm not even listed in the in the movie. Yeah, I mean, in the title, mm-hmm. in the credits. But I am mm-hmm. definitely in uh, most of the. Uh, more than half of the teams that uh, are in Suspiria. 
we did first not it's happening normally the soundtracks uh, we did the soundtrack i mean the main team before seeing any footage so we, we saw really? dario argento really? yeah we, we met dario and so we, we came up with a team before seeing any any footage and uh, this is not not what normally happens of course during soundtrack yeah. we see the movie first mm-hmm. and uh, did, did so he explain we, we... anything they're gone sir oh yeah of course they explain because we, we knew that there was this uh, mm-hmm. uh, Greek witch and stuff so that, that's why we have uh, we put some element like uh, the, the bouzouki or the degrees yeah of course we mm-hmm. knew what about yeah yeah I must he, he must have really uh, been detailed to uh, to explain the, to be able to do a score without seeing it I think uh, sometimes sometimes the, there is a Mm, a collaboration, maybe you get inspired by the film, but uh, the director may even get inspired by the music. Like the music is uh, mm-hmm. everything, like its color, its imagination, and things. So maybe this uh, yeah, inspiration. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think of. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, how are you himself like? Sorry. Uh, what was Dario Argento? To himself, the person. Oh, uh, to me, because I, I, of course this is a, just a, a, a personal impression. To me, it's, it's very open. It's very emotional, and I have a very good mm-hmm. relationship with Dario. So, so we are friends and sharing the same mm-hmm. culture, the same city. So you know. When you speak the same dialect, this Roman, uh, you you can achieve a, a level of uh, confidence very high, right? Uh, so, mm-hmm. I, he's, he's a nice guy. So I'm good for me. So I, I cannot speak for <laughs> others, but uh, yeah, the sure. very positive collaboration uh, sure. always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the movie after after you saw the finished movie? The, the Suspiria. Oh, that, it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. It's uh, one of the best experiences I had seeing the movie after after that. And uh, the colors, uh, the, the rhythm, everything, the mystery, the, the atmosphere, everything was good. And put together with the, the music was good too. I don't know if you saw the, the, the restoration for K. Came out last year. It's, it's yeah, I actually yeah. saw it. Yeah, I saw it. I got to see it at the theater. It was uh, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely good mm-hmm. work. Of course, uh, now we are forty, forty one, year away. So there is some uh, uh, stereotypes that uh, over time change, right? Maybe some part is definitely a bit slow. But that's because uh, mm-hmm. there was different uh, different rhythm, right? Now we are used to, to see quicker stuff happening all together. That time there was more time to uh, yeah think and to go. Everything everything was slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fine with I, that's why because the movie's really about the atmosphere about of the film and the colors and the feel music as opposed to really like the uh the plot of the movie 
Of course, absolutely, yes. And uh, this is a very important part of the movie. Like uh, even music at that time was a little bit uh, not slower, but with rich of details. We were just buying an album and sitting together on the sofa for and listening three or four times, just to, trying to capture the, every single detail. And now there are millions of songs every day. So it's not mm-hmm. anymore this kind of attention by the public. I don't know. It was different, different mm-hmm. approach, music and movies and everything else. Too. Any thoughts on the remake that's coming out? I, yeah, I saw the, the trailer, the, the one online. I don't know any, anything more than that. I saw something to, okay, totally different. It's more, uh, mm-hmm. my opinion, more according to to what's, uh, yeah, the stereotypes now, the sounds and things. It may be a very good movie, but I don't, no idea. But I don't think it's sure. going to uh, approach in any way the what, uh, the meaning of Suspiria, the original one. I mean. So uh, how, how did you and Fabio Free uh, uh, get to work together? Uh, I had Fabio on the show, and uh, he did a live, a live score for The Beyond here in Boston. Uh, last year it was a, it was a pretty awesome thing to see. Yeah, uh, long story. I we were often in the same studio, and um, mm-hmm. he, he wanted the sound of the uh, horror, especially for the horror movie with the uh, fortune. And uh, yeah, I never had a long collaboration, years and years with Fabio. We did. Uh, four or five uh, horror soundtracks together. I, I played even other mm-hmm. kind of soundtracks like comedies and stuff. So. And the uh, mm-hmm. very smooth, smooth way to, to work with Fabio, the very nice guy, and uh, we were collaborating. I don't know what to, to tell uh, that is not good. <laughs> so everything was totally good. With all yeah. Good. That's good. Yeah. I, yeah, it's good. I remember the. I don't have to Actually, a um, couple of years ago, when he, he toured North America, they came to Toronto, and I uh, joined them on stage. We played together, the City of Living Dead, and, and, uh, and uh, I don't remember what else. But, I mean, a couple of sweet things. That was cool because the first time ever we played together live you know, on stage. It was very t- touching moment that time, around a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he mentioned that um, he kind of like he mentioned uh, that Fabio wanted like a horror sound for, for those movies. What kind of uh, your classical for for your uh, for your score for uh, Dante's Inferno? But um, are there any things, specific things that you put in there to give a horror feel? Or do you let the, uh, or, or no horror in the music itself? Um, this is a um, re- really a interesting topic to talk, talk about. I think that horror music doesn't exist, I mean, by itself, unless you don't get really specific uh, uh, stereotypes like, yeah, different violins that was going on in the middle of 1950 or so. Uh, I think that the horror comes from the 
union of the images and the music. So uh, horror may be the the jaw or bang, bang, or uh, Herman with Hitchcock may be Suspiria. There is a sort of a lullaby. There's an arpeggio. There's nothing horror in some horror movies that uh, uh, are sometimes terrifying, but the music itself is not terrifying. So uh, after this long <laughs> parenthesis, I don't think there is mm-hmm. horror music. Uh, horror is inside ourselves when we we get scared, and whatever we are listening at that moment, uh, that for us becomes horror music, but might be anything. You know, a piano or a, mm-hmm. I don't know, a music box, musical box, maybe a, a really horror. Just a mm-hmm. being, I don't know. <laughs> so, is it just you that, uh, or do you have a do you have an orchestra with you? How many people are involved in the in the live score for Dante's Inferno? Oh, just me. Use keyboards. Okay. Just me. me mm-hmm. Use keyboards, and uh, I don't use computer. So it's just me. Just I'm playing for more than one hour, just myself, following mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. Uh, how, do you play any other instruments? I know your specialty is a keyboard, but do you play other instruments? Yeah, I like making noise with anything I can make in my in my way. Uh, I started actually when um, with guitar when I was like teenager. Like then, uh, yeah, keyboards. I play drums. My second instrument after keyboard is actually bass. I love to play bass, mm-hmm. and I play guitar. And uh, I have a soprano sax. I play sax too, mm-hmm. but no, I'm not a good musician in all this. I think uh, I'm a good, good bass bass player. <laughs> For the rest, yeah. I, I like making noise. Yeah. <laughs> so, how how would you explain your uh, your solo music? Uh, is it similar to to what people have heard um, with Goblin and your others other uh, music, or is it something completely different? And not completely. I think in, in a band there is always the elements that every musician put in, in the band. That's why the the sound of the band is a is a mix mm-hmm. of the, the, the ideas. Actually, I was in front of this problem when I did my solo album in 2013 because I was searching for my identity because actually I don't know my identity. And I tried to not stick to any thing that people were, or Goblin or, or anything else. I just tried, tried to be myself. So if I had to define my music, I have no idea. So other people <laughs> might... What I'm searching, what I'm searching, Uh yes, what I'm searching for is just uh, something that I like after I did it. This is very difficult. Sometimes you do things the day after you listen and say, "No, what the heck is this?" And uh, but when you you do something that you listen and you like, uh, uh, that that's the music. There's no boundaries. I don't think it doesn't have to be. Uh, label to any genre, maybe anything, not labeled with any kind of instruments, maybe anything. I think it's pretty open. So something works. It's good music, no matter what uh, was about or the genre, let's say. So how how, how would you compare Dario Argento and, and Fulci? Like, uh, 
uh, working with, with one or the other? How were they different? Okay, with Fucci, I never had a direct uh, um, relation. He, he was in his studio sometimes, okay. but that was music with Fabio. Uh, hard to to say. In, uh, nobody ever did this question to me, so I didn't think about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh, I don't know much. I didn't know much uh, Lucio Fulci to to make a comparison in this way. So I don't know. Maybe uh, no answer. <laughs> no, no, that's totally fine. Uh, what did you think about his films that, that you worked on once you saw the movies? Or Fulci. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was um, totally same. The the horror of the seventies is great, great, great stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, yeah, we, well, we see, um, when we remember stuff, uh, things, and uh, we remember in uh, with a sort of distortion of what we have in mind because it's in our memory, right? We, we change over time, and uh, mm-hmm. even our what we see and what we remember is changing. So, but if I had to to trust my memory, it, it was really good, even at that time when mm-hmm. I was seeing it. Yeah. And I remember uh, there the, uh, was a different way to record, right? Not the different was no computer, no tools. Uh-huh. Right. You, you had to follow sometimes. The very first time there were reels projected in loop and mm-hmm. you, you were just playing music uh, trying to to get in time with the things it wasn't working it's a different process and uh that gives you a little bit of horror when you see it's 10 times the same <laughs> reel with a big mm-hmm. big screen yeah mm-hmm. uh, what kind of movies do you watch uh you know when you're not uh, scoring a horror movie what kind of movies do you just enjoy to watch Oh, normally science fiction is what I like. Mm-hmm. My top movie may be, I don't know, 2001 Space Odyssey or, mm. or Blood Runner or these kinds of, I like these kinds of movies. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, it's not, it's not uh, uh, doesn't have to be science fiction to be a good movie for me. I, I, I see several aspects in that. I like seeing movies, but I'm not. I don't stick to horror. Actually, I wasn't mm-hmm. watching horror before entering with Goblin. So, just oh, okay. randomly sometimes, but not specifically that. So, anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just saw 2001. Uh, they played it here in Boston for the 50th anniversary. Uh, they played it in the original 70 millimeter on the big mm-hmm. screen. It was uh, it was great to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, once you started to get, yeah, 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 it's uh, I think it's sixty eight because it's the fiftieth anniversary. But yeah, right around okay. there. It was a yeah. It was cool though because uh, there was a person sitting next to me who watched it in that theater fifty years ago when it was released. So then he he was there yeah. again while watching it fifty years later. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that so, much uh, old. That once you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Once you. Uh, once you started to work in, in the horror, uh, or did you learn to, to like those movies more? The horror? Uh, yeah. Uh, not really, because when you start working on uh, something, and uh, 
you do the tricks. I'm not not tricks. I mean, you, you start studying the the scene in, in a um, technical mm-hmm. perspective, professional perspective, and uh, mm-hmm. you are not involved. Like you don't know anything. Like uh, you, you know the trick of the magician. Uh, right. You don't like the, the magician, the magic anymore if you know the trick behind. So if you you have to force mm-hmm. yourself to to. To jump in, in the in the audience, in the mind of the audience, pretending to not know what's what's behind, because of course you, you see on a technical technical perspective, right? And uh, mm-hmm. so I didn't start. I didn't like horror more when I started working on it. I was liking horror more before because I didn't know what was mm-hmm. behind that in terms of music and even in mm-hmm. terms of uh, filming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, have you found uh, when you're touring with Goblin or you're touring uh, with your uh, doing the score that different uh, countries uh, react differently to the to the different music? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. I I have to say, U.S. is very warm. Most most of the U.S. is very welcoming and very warm. There's a lot of energy in. Uh, when we tour US, now we did four tours in US. That's not bad for a band mm-hmm. of old guys going around after so many years. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, US, uh, I, I noticed this, uh, this uh, warm audience. In uh, Japan, I noticed the very uh, precise, uh, they, they listen to anything, any single detail of what really uh, great listeners during the concert while maybe in the US is more like uh, how, do you, how do you say sorry my second language English actually third language sometimes words don't come anyway less um, uh, very emotional let's say right so mm-hmm. very energe- energetic and it depends. And then I, I cannot say maybe there's a city there that's better, a city is different. In Italy itself, if you go south, it's more warm. If you go north, it's less, more cold people. And mm-hmm. wherever you go, I was expecting um, Scandinavia cold, uh, apart temperature. Actually, they're very warm, in, in, even in Finland. So, mm-hmm. And then you have to take into account that we, we do a kind of music that's not really disco music or, or rock. So you, you have to find our audience specifically for listening to our stuff. So it's really interesting to see the interaction with the people. It's always great because it's an exchange of energy. You know? We play differently mm-hmm. if the people is warm, of course, right? Because they transmit the, mm-hmm. the power that we need. Mm-hmm. Do you have a do you have a do you have favorite countries to to perform in, or is it you know just different? Uh, I'm thinking. Prefer yeah. country, uh, maybe U.S. Maybe U.S. Uh, because it was where we we played mostly Europe and U.S. Uh, even though, as a I have to tell you, as a, a foreign bands, we have a lot of problems with visas and things. Right? We had these mm-hmm. <laughs> things, but uh, in terms of audience, yeah, I love, I love, 
I love US. I think uh, the rest of Dublin as well. We all like playing. Here. Yeah. I will play with, with my Dante's Inferno for now. I'm pretty sure in October we will be in Colorado. In uh, mm-hmm. that will be October the 20th. I don't know the city yet, the theater. I will play in uh, another things in, uh, in Saskatoon, but that's Canada. And uh, yeah, yeah, the action didn't, didn't give me yet the, the schedule of the dates. I don't know, but I think uh, they will be closing uh, soon uh, several dates and uh, starting September, September, October, November, and all the fall. Very cool. Well, yeah, they'll be up on the, in your website, and uh, I'll inform people when uh start to fill up. Hopefully, yeah. you'll be in Boston. Come and see you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I hope to come to Boston. I've been three times in Goblin. Um, well, my website is very simple. It's my first and last name, mauriciowedding.com, yeah. and I just set up uh, Inferno page. So I will mm-hmm. post there, and I, of course on Facebook, uh, I'll post uh, as soon as the, I get filled the, the schedule, the dates. I will keep it updated for sure. Very good, very good. Good. Uh, when you're in the United States, the, the, besides uh, performing, uh, do you do you ever go around and see the different uh, sites or anything? Like that? Uh, sites. I mean, the cities and uh, we, if yeah, anything we have, in the local. Area. I love to, and when I can, I love going around, meet people, and see sites. The problem is that when we tour with Goblin, sometimes. It, it's day by day, so we have to do it with a tour bus. Mm-hmm. That means uh, you see just the, the dressing room, the the, the the venue, you play, maybe you go around the block, <laughs> and the day after you stay mm-hmm. in another city. But we, if we have one day off or two days off, or maybe it's close city by city, uh, yeah, we have mm-hmm. always, I, I like, I love to see things. I, I, I yeah. like I like yeah. uh, those states. I know not the big cities. I know all of them. I've been millions of times in New York and LA. Yeah, but I like, I like. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you said earlier that in the, the seventy-five, I, I forget it was the, the seventies. We left Goblin was over, you know, disagreement. Uh, uh, I assume things been uh, has been fine since then. Oh, it's been a while ago, but. Uh, I think I, I, I lost the last part of your question. After the fight, I mean, in 76? Yeah, and then when uh, you came back, is, uh, is there a good, uh, there's, uh, has there been a good relationship ever since then? Oh, yeah, back and forth. We are a litigious band, like most of the bands. So we are no exception. Uh, my history with Goblin was, okay, 75 to end of 76. Then I joined again in 78. We did other mm-hmm. soundtracks like uh, Contamination, Patrick, uh, and uh, Buyo Mecca, that's Beyond the Darkness, uh, and other stuff until, I mean, 82 or 83. Then sort mm-hmm. of the Goblin history, we went dormant like a band. They did another couple of things. And... Uh, we rejoined in 2004 when I was uh, already here in Canada because I moved from Italy to Canada. And the relationship, yeah, was good. It was good. We established again 
to the relationship with the new album, we started again playing live. Actually, I think I, I was the one that insisting to play live again. Uh, mm-hmm. Because we were not sure. I think um, all the um, social media helped bands like us and like other hundreds of bands to mm-hmm. get um, people to know them because we were all for, for, forgotten in the mm-hmm. end of the 90s. Nobody knew anything about progressive rock, horror movies and things. And then when internet started, people started getting interested on in, in watching what's going on 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Then everything mm-hmm. take, took off again. So I think thanks to internet, mm-hmm. the the con- yeah, it's communication that, that all these things are coming back and people can enjoy this kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Would you say it's a big age range? Because I think it would be a lot of people who uh, listened, you know, at the time in the seventies and grew up with it. And then it's like it's a lot of new people who who found it, uh, you know, uh, on the internet and found, you know, started watching these movies uh, from before. It seems like there's like a age, a big age range of people people who who with music. Oh yeah, our public is. Uh... Range for twenty year old to seventies, maybe even more. Uh, yeah, because yeah, kids now they, they they have the possibility to see what's going on, where what's going on uh, in the seventies, right? Thirty years mm-hmm. before they were born, and uh, we're we're glad we're glad to be part of this uh, history. These things are sometimes we don't even believe. Uh, as many people know us and know our songs, you see that they're singing our uh, songs, not sang, not lyrics, but they just they know everything, including kids. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a great, great mean mm-hmm. that feeling. Mm-hmm. So what was that like when you uh, performed live with them again in two thousand four after you know so much time apart? Mm, at the beginning, you know, maybe not seeing each other for more than 20 years, not playing together for 35 years and more. Yeah. He said, what, what do you do? We, we, we look at your eyes. So, no, I have an instrument. You have an instrument. <laughs> we have to create something <laughs> together. But when you start going over this first moment, the approach, you find the same souls. The same spirit that was like uh, uh, 30 years before, because I think there's no age of music. Like a musician doesn't have age in, in mind. Mm-hmm. We we age like physically, but uh, uh, the mind are the same. So that it's the same relationship and the same uh, thing happening. Uh, like one day before we played, uh, 30 years just went like nothing. And uh, this mm-hmm. is good. Uh, all musicians, uh, there's no age barrier, there's no country barriers. It's music that uh, keep us together, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, was there any? Uh, is there any specific music that you would say really? Uh, I know I asked earlier about influences, but was there any specific music that really made you uh, want to become a musician? Uh, yes. 
I mean, not not the yes, the band. Yes, there is. Uh, whatever is... Okay, at the beginning, it was like more rock. Very first band, mm -hmm. I, I like Deep Purple. But they had to include an organ. I mean, some keyboards. Then uh, the first one that gave me a hit was uh, Keith Emerson, with uh, um, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And I saw this guy playing 5-4. That what is this? It's not for four, it's like a timing. Yeah, I started researching this kind of stuff that now they call progressive rock. So I um, fell in love with gentle all these bands that were trying to go over the boundaries of what was normal. And uh, always interested in on discovering and researching new, new things. Uh, not to go too far or too weird, but yeah, something that is now called progressive rock was very influencing me at the first period. Then uh, after some things, I start. I discovered another thing is jazz rock, the English jazz rock, like a soft machine and this kind of bands. We were talking about um, late seventies, and then I discovered yeah weather report and a little bit of jazz fusion. Uh, so there is always um, bands or musicians that inspire you, right? And they change over time. Yeah, that, my, my, that, mm -hmm. that was my my path from rock to prog rock to jazz rock to fusion and and sort of jazz. Mm -hmm. uh, what what do you listen to today? I think I've lost most of your question. I uh, will listen to today. What what I listen today? Uh, yeah. Not much. Uh, I might be getting old, so I don't have. Uh, uh, I'm not researching much to listen. Uh -huh. I happen to stay in place where where I listen some good music. I'm not following any more. more uh, artists like uh, I, I listen old stuff sometimes i listen classical music uh, i listen uh, live music but maybe people playing live or jam sessions sometimes i do even play jam sessions i'm not uh, really focused on anything this is, this is a period for sure and in this period i want to concentrate to, on myself and trying to be as mm -hmm. far uh, as i can from uh, Influence, external influence right now. I need to, mm -hmm. to understand what's, what's around me. Uh, so that, that's the question. I just listen randomly, whatever it comes. <laughs> very good, very, very good. Uh, you can get your own music on your website, and you can also uh, check out where Dante's Inferno will be. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I think that'll be a cool experience. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll see each other soon with Inferno somewhere close. Very good. I hope so. Hopefully. Yeah. I'll definitely be there. It was good. I'm sorry for any technical problems here. I know it's not the best connection, but it was a pleasure to have. Okay, no problem. At the end, we made it. Yes, we are. Very good. Thank you and have a good night.
You too. Thanks. Bye. Welcome back to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still nasty Neil, and I'm joined by the returning Larry Zerner, uh, Shelley, and uh, uh, he's a, a lawyer, all kinds of stuff. So it's uh, it's good to have you back here. Thanks for having me back, Neil. Yeah, it's been uh, I think 13 years. Oh wow! Very fitting. Good. Uh-huh. <laughs> good. <laughs> that shows how much I liked the first one interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'll not go back for 13 years, but so, uh, so I uh, came up recently, uh, a lot of people were attacking Victor Miller over, um, over some stuff that was going on and, uh, right. I didn't exactly understand it. And, uh, but I, I was typically trying to take, uh, Victor's side cause I was thinking, you know, the side of the artist. And then, uh, you put it out uh, on Twitter, a very, very well written thing and, you know, explained it all. But, uh, for people who haven't read Twitter, could you explain uh, what's going on? Uh, okay, I will try and, and give a condensed version of what's going on. Okay, so uh, basically I'm a copyright lawyer, so this is sort of my specialty. So um, uh, under the Copyright Act, there is a provision that says that if someone has transferred their copyright, then after 35 years they can terminate that transfer by sending a notice to the person they gave the rights to. And the purpose of that was to allow artists like screenwriters and musicians who sold their music or sold their script very cheaply, you know, uh, when they were young to basically, if the thing still had value to go back and, and make a, a, and make a new deal. Um, so that is what happened in Victor's case. And uh, in, uh, under the rule, you have to send a notice uh, two years before the termination is going to take place. And the termination can take place anytime after 35 years uh, has passed. Um, uh, so 
Victor sent a notice two years ago in June, June of 2016, uh, that said to Sean and said, I'm terminating my rights under the um, Copyright Act. And the, the way that works is normally the way that works is that um, even if he does, even if he gets the termination, the termination only affects the U.S. rights. Doesn't affect rights outside of the U.S. So even if he gets back the rights, he only gets back U.S. rights, and that doesn't really help him in making a movie because no one's going to make a movie of Justin or make anything just in the U.S. And same with mm-hmm. Sean, he can't do something just outside the U.S. So basically, there's a two-year period where the parties. And what happens most of the time is the parties will meet and make a deal on how they will split revenue going ahead in the future. Uh, But instead of doing that, uh, Sean sued Victor, and he said, um, the the contract that you signed doesn't allow for terminations because there's an exception to the rule allowing terminations, which is that if the work was a work for hire – um, then it is not uh, subject to termination. And Sean said this was a work for hire, and therefore you can't terminate. And Victor said, this is, well, no, was, this wasn't a work for hire. I already had the script. Work, I was working on the script before you, before I made this deal. And so, so there's a lawsuit going on. Uh, st- started in August of 2016, and and I think both sides thought that the lawsuit would get resolved one way or another in that two years. And last October, in October of 2017, both parties, well, let's say back in July of 2017, both parties filed motions for summary judgment, which basically were motions to the judge that said, look, these are the facts of the case. You should rule for me. Both both sides said that. Uh, They filed competing motions. The motions were heard. There was a hearing in October, and since then, nothing. And now, normally, a judge will rule in a few weeks, maybe a few months in an outside case. It has now been nine months without a ruling uh, from this judge, and that's very unusual. I don't think either side uh, thought that that would happen. Um, So Mm -hmm. the, the... the what would have happened so and because and in my opinion both sides are going to lose their motions the judge is going to say i can't rule on summary judgment because i think there are facts that are in dispute and if there are facts in dispute then the judge cannot rule he has to send it to a jury and that's what i think will happen so basically we don't know yet and so even if they had done the summary judgment motion and the court had had issued and denied it, there would have been a trial probably in the spring of 2018. They still would have had some, you know, it would have been done or at least maybe they've been on appeal, but they would have had at least a jury verdict, which would have allowed one side or the other to know, you know, who had the stronger position. But neither side knows. And so June came along, the two years, and so the termination went into effect. And as a result, the people who did the game uh, could no longer add new material to the game because mm-hmm. they don't have a deal with 
Victor, and a lot of people said, well, why can't they just make a deal with Victor? And the answer is they can't make a deal with Victor because they don't know if they have to pay him or not um, uh, because they don't know who's going to win the lawsuit. So mm-hmm. they, they, they're kind of stuck, and, and as a result, no more game content and it looks like no more game time than enter ever because the, the guys have said, well, look, we, we can't, we keep the guy that gun are the producers, but they've hired El Sonic to make, to make the content and they can't keep, keep those guys on retainer waiting for another year or so before this thing gets done. So that's, that's sadly the, the result. But it's not Victor's fault. Yeah. Victor is doing what mm-hmm. the Copyright Act allows him to do. Mm-hmm. When did that Copyright Act start? When did the the well the, the the rule that allowed the 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 termination after 35 years was in the Copyright Act of 1976, which actually went into effect okay. in 1978, and so it was but that didn't. Uh, it, it didn't apply to works until 35 years after 1978, which would be 2013. So until right. 2013, there nothing. There it didn't happen. And just for copyright geeks out there, for works that are prior to 1978, uh, it's 56 years. So it's a different calculation. So you're just you're still looking. At, so for for uh, you're still looking at stuff from 1962. Those people can terminate. Now, in fact, Paul McCartney has been sending out notices that he's terminating his licenses for his songs, uh, the Beatles songs, which you know started in the yeah. 60s. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, and Stephen King's getting a lot of his work back. A lot of his uh, Stephen King has filed termination for, for right for all for any of his books that he sent to movies that he gave sent mm-hmm. movies rights to. He's been getting the rights back, and that is that is probably why. Uh, that is why you get something like Castle Rock, the new TV show, because he can go back, get those rights, and and license it out to do things like the TV show. Yeah. Now, I, I have a question. Um, did you become a, a copyright lawyer for a specific reason? Did you have an incident, or was it something you were interested in? It, well, when I went to law school, I wanted to do stuff in the entertainment field, you know, because I was an actor, and that was my interest, and so that's that was always what I gravitated toward, and uh, I, I, I really like—I really, you know—I like being an entertainment lawyer, and I, you know, I represent a bunch of people in the horror world, and and it's great fun. So, now, do you, do you know both Victor and Sean well? I do not know them well. I've met them both, but that's it. Yeah. So I don't know if it's something you'd even want to say, like who's who you think, uh, whose side you would take. I guess is a question, but I don't know if it would be. Something yeah, yeah I, I mean, I have want. I have a an opinion on who has the better case as a copyright lawyer, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna I'm keeping it to myself simply because you know people have been slamming one side or the other, and sure. I'm just not like I don't want people tweeting Victor or Sean going. They said you should lose. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, I think it's important, though, that people, you know, fans of the game or the movie or anything, you know, shouldn't be, you know, really uh, villainizing uh, Victor. Because when I first heard about it was 
uh, I was putting up all my old interviews on YouTube, and all of a sudden there was all this like hate for on the Victor Miller uh, YouTube interview, and I was like, "What? What? What's going on here?" And then that's when I looked. Yeah, into it right. People have right. People who are 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 slamming Victor. Right. You should know. It's not Victor didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Mostly, the biggest problem is is that the judge has a rule. I mean, it, I mean that the judge has taken this long to rule. Otherwise, it. it 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 probably would have been resolved prior to the to the um to termination so it wouldn't have stopped it yeah is that unusual for for the 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 uh, judge to take so long i've never now this i'm in i'm in los angeles so we have different mm-hmm. judges and but in this case is pending in connecticut and i don't know what it's like in connecticut but i I've, I've never had never had anything go 9 months Without a ruling. Yeah. yeah. It's Ever. too bad for everyone involved because, uh, you know, so many people that were involved in the game, you know, did it really almost out of just love for the franchise. Uh, you were involved in make, in the making game at some level, I believe. Well, I'm in the game. I'm, I, I mean, I got yeah. to, I, oh, I'm, I'm a character in the game and I got to go in and do my voice. And I, uh, and I, uh, I know all the guys are gun and they're great. And, um, uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think that you'd, uh, you know, so many years after the Friday 13th Part 3, that you'd be doing like the Shelley voice for, for a video game? No. I mean, I remember when, you know, I had the Nintendo Jason game and uh-huh. I was always like, you know, where's the Shelley? And there's no Shelley in there. You know, I was like, oh, I wish I was a character that, you know, that horrible Friday 13th game. And, and you know, I was so <laughs> excited to be put into to be a to be a video game character is so so you know, like bucket list you know like you couldn't even put it on your bucket list because it's like who can say that right who can do that i'm gonna be a video game character it's crazy yeah did did you play the game were you uh, are you a player of the game of course yeah mm-hmm. i backed it on I, I backed it on kickstarter before before i knew anything yeah, i backed yeah. it on kickstarter and you know with you know paid for the game so uh you know, but I'm, I, you know, I'm really fortunate because actually, me and Tom Matthews are the only actors who got to go back and do our voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll both be at uh, Mad Monster Party coming up this weekend in Arizona. And we'll both be at Mad Monster this weekend in at the Weekapa uh-huh. Resort in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw there's a game and Kane panel, will be there so, too uh... doing. Oh, Kane, right. Kane Hodder will be there, and he's doing photo ops in both Savini Jason and uh, 8-Bit Jason Get Up. That's really awesome. Like, you know, because I've seen him, you know, do other Jasons, but uh, for something so uh, so unusual, I think that's like an amazing opportunity for people. Uh, yeah, and we're going to have, I think we're, we're going to have a panel of people, and I think that one of the other actresses who did the um who was in one of the counselors uh one of the original counselors from the game will also mm-hmm. be there i saw that on the on the list um, yeah yeah and then and then also robert england is going to be there and lance hendrickson and michael bean and, so come come on out to uh mad monster yeah, <laughs> uh before you got online did you realize obviously friday 13th all have a, a big following but did you know that like people really liked Shelley as a character until like uh, the internet? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I knew that that 
there were fans. I mean, I, I, I would get fan mail over the years. People would send me letters. Uh, and I, you know, I, I know Shelley has a, uh, you know, he's an important part of the, of the, of the franchise cause he, it's his mask and, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's a memorable character cause he, he stands out, you know, he's not the, the bland, you know, hunky, good looking guy, you know, he's, he's funky looking and he's got, he does stuff, you know, so. He does. I, I, you know, I also bet people who told me they hated Shelley, and that Shelley's the worst character. <laughs> He's so annoying, you know. So, uh, uh-huh. uh huh. Uh, yeah, so I get that. Either way. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's weird that people would message you like, "I hate your character." He's very annoying. I don't know that they would say, but uh, like I'd see things, you know, I'd, I mean, I'd see things. Or I'd, sure. I'd, 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 I remember being at it, like, then I'd go to, like, uh, Friday 13th events, right? And there'd be people there, uh-huh. and they go, oh, I hate Shelly. You know, I don't, I, don't take it, I don't take it personally. Shelly is an annoying, can be annoying, and, and I get that. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Death House. I, I mean, he annoys people. Right. The question is, do you like that or not? He's, he's... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I totally get that because I'm the same way. A lot of people are annoyed by me. So, uh, Death House, you play Shelly the Prop Man. How did it come about uh, for you to be part of Death House? Uh, I'm friends with, with uh, Buzz Wallach and Felissa Rose, uh, who were helping produce the movie and they asked me to come in and, and, and basically, uh, um, they just sort of wrote that thing for me. It wasn't in the script. They just sort of said, okay, we're going to do this thing. And I show up in the, uh, in the, in a mid credits sequence. It's really a cameo. Oh, okay. That's cool though. So, uh, did you know Gunnar Hansen at all from like the conventions? Were you friends with him? I never, I don't think I ever met Gunnar. No, I didn't know him. Have you have you seen the finished movie? I did, I did. What, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's kind of crazy. It's like it's like everyone's in that movie. It's it's uh, uh, yeah. You know, Danny Trejo and Sid Haig and and Kane and uh, 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 you know Barbara Crampton and Felicia Rose and and it's like a million people. Yeah. Right? It's expendable as arms. Yeah. When I when I first saw it on IMDb before like there's a trailer or anything, I was like, I think this isn't a real movie. It's just someone like saying they have all these people in this movie. How could this be a you know a real movie with like you know, everybody you know, like hundred people you know? Right, it's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, how can people follow uh, follow yourself online if they they would like to get in contact with you? Oh, well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm, I have, so I, for lawyer stuff, it's Zerner Law. And for not lawyer stuff and Friday 13 stuff, it's LarryZerner.com, uh, Larry Zerner. So easy to remember. Uh, and uh, if you need a lawyer, I'm at ZernerLaw.com. And you can, uh, you can find my email and send me an email. All right. So, you know, there's a lot of Friday 13th parts. Part three merchandise that plays off the three, you know, uh, lately, which I think is very cool. Uh, I don't know. Do you collect any of that stuff, or do you keep it? You keep it, keep it uh, in touch with like all the different stuff that comes out. 
I do collect. I, I, I have on my desk at work about a dozen Jasons, different Jasons. Mm-hmm. Mostly yeah. the uh, mostly, and mostly part three Jasons, but sometimes you know, like the the Funko Jason and the and the. But I just got a a Mezco Jason. It's kind of big. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never, uh, and I have the like the the, the NECA um, um, uh, 8-bit Jason. So I got a bunch. I got a bunch of Jasons, and I got I got I got I got merch in my office. There's a lot of Shelly stuff. The, the only Shelly thing was is there's a there was a pin that Fright Rags had. Um, which I don't think I think they 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 it was one and done they they did a set and I think don't think they have any more but you can look at white rags and they they did a, a like a one day sale of a, a Shelly T-shirt which is kind of awesome it's Shelly with a mask jumping out of the water in a scuba suit it's, it's with the big fro it's funny <laughs> uh, did you get yourself one and they sent me one so I got one they sent one yeah that's what I mean. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to buy one. This is a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah. When you're at the conventions, do people ever come up with like fan art or, or things to give you? Yeah, they do. And somebody you, made me. Uh, well, uh, yeah, they, I, I've gotten art. It's cool. And then and then uh, somebody made like I saw on uh, Instagram. He had made like a Shelly action figure. And I reached out to him, and he made me one. So I got like a there's a Shelly action figure like in the box, like, like it's a real thing in the wet with the wetsuit. Yeah. It's very cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope yeah, you know it's it goes handmade. It he, he, he just gave it to me. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty sweet. All right. Well, so uh, I want to thank you for coming back on. And if people are asking more stuff about Shelly, because in the original interview is all about Shelly. So you guys can go back and listen to the old one. From Wait, you're supposed to ask but, uh, that question from Twitter. We, you put that up on Twitter. Oh, yeah. We did have a. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if you could be other Friday the 13th film in any Friday, other Friday the 13th film, which would it be? Yeah, I saw that question. I, I thought that was the best question, too. Uh, so I thought about about it i would be like just the one i would want to be in is part four one because i'm friends with judy aronson and so it'd be great to be with her two it'd be great to do a scene with crispin glover because he's kind of crazy in a great way um and we could you know geek each other out um so uh that would be uh that would be my choice Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple more here. There's uh, Miss Otterman wants to know: uh, Do most fans normally recognize you as Shelley, and are they aware that thanks to your character, Jason got hooked up with his famous hockey mask? Well, people don't recognize me on the street as Shelley. If I'm at a, if I'm at a thing, then people, you know, if I'm at a thing like uh, was that Monster Palooza, just walking around. And people are like, oh, they're Shelly, you know. So that's where I get recognized. But otherwise, like maybe once a year, I'll be out on the street and somebody will recognize me. Yeah. Uh, Caden wants to know: Do you think there'll ever be another Friday the Thirteenth movie? We there definitely will be one eventually. Be there, like, mm-hmm. You don't know when, though. Obviously, uh, not until the lawsuit's done. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, AJ wants to know, uh, I didn't realize there's so many uh, questions. Thank you, guys. Uh, why do you think Shelly is remembered by fans? Why is he remembered? Well, I, I, well, one, because he gave the mask. Two, he does a lot of memorable things in the movie. I mean, you know, a lot of those movies you go, who was... Who, what did that guy do? You know, they're like, you know, the, they're just all like, oh, they, they kiss the girl. They're trying to make it with the girl. That's all their story, right? But Shelley does stuff, right? He fights off the gang. He, he, he has, the, he, at the beginning, he has the, like, he tries to stab the, you know, he, he does the fake stab and then he does the fake death and then he tries to get with Vera. And, and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that Shelley gets to do, which is pretty memorable in the movies. They were different. Than just oh I'm gonna smoke a joint or, or I'm gonna right. <laughs> I'm gonna sit in the hammock and get killed. <laughs> right, right. Well, how close uh, were you at the time to uh, to the character Shelley? I was very close to the character. I I mean, on the first day of filming, Steve Miner, the director, he said he said don't do I don't want you putting on a character. Just just do yourself. Just be yourself. I mean, it was if it was as if they had written it. If they had written me apart, I mean, Shelley was very much me as I was when I was eighteen. So uh, this is an interesting one. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, were you finished there? I'm sorry, if I interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jace takes Omega. I'm not sure. But he says, if Shelly had been born in the internet age, what would his YouTube prank channel be called? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> it'd be called uh, Shelly's Heroes. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, let's see. DJ wants to know, what's the strangest fan encounter you've ever had? Um... Right when the movie came out, so like a, like a maybe a week after the movie came out, so I was very at that point I was I was like I don't want to say famous I I was very recognized like it, the movie was number one movie in America and I looked exactly like that so so I was being recognized a lot and I remember I was walking around Westwood with my girlfriend and this girl came. This girl came up behind, like someone came up behind me and like put their throat, like my their finger around, around my throat, like cut my throat, like thing. And I looked around, uh-huh. and it's just uh-huh. like, like just teenage girls was just playing with me. It was just like, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was interesting. Uh huh. F thirteen Wes, uh, did Wes mocap your package? I guess on the video game. Uh, he did not. They didn't have a, a big enough. They they didn't have the big enough. The extra large size. Right, right. Uh, Ronan wants to know: Was there a time when you wish that you played the part of a killer in a horror movie? Uh, it, it it I would love to play a killer in a horror movie. That that sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, do you get offered a lot? Like when you go to the conventions, like uh, independent uh, directors want you to put you in movies. Well, people sometimes say that, but it, like I'm still in I'm in the Screen Actors Guild, and it's like they sometimes they're doing they're doing movies right, that aren't right, right. union, and it's right, like, right. Like, like I'm not really interested in that. Um, yeah, but I've done besides Death House, I did two other movies in the past year. Um, 
uh, 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 in a Christmas horror anthology called All the Creatures Were Stirring, um, uh, directed by uh, David and, and Rebecca McKendry. Mc, uh, Rebecca's on the Shockwaves pod. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that'll be out this fall or probably November, right, for Christmas. And then I just did a part in Dan Farron's movie, The Haunting of Nicole Brown Simpson, um, also with Tracy Savage. Uh, and uh, I play the neighbor, dog walking neighbor who finds the, the dead body. Oh, oh very cool. Uh, that's an amazing name. So I'm looking forward to those. Uh, <laughs> horror movie okay. review 73. Should Jason be thanking Shelley for making him the horror icon he is today. Absolutely. I, he should split half of his merch royalties with me. <laughs> uh, 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 I think this one you might have covered. Uh, Victor, uh, if Victor can go in front of the judge and sign a waiver that would allow... Uh, it's about the Friday the 13th game. Um, yeah. Well, I'll ask it. Uh, if it, Victor, Mickel, Victor Miller could go in front of the judge and sign a waiver that would allow the Friday the 13th game to continue to get content, but the licensing fee from every sale gets put into a trust controlled by the court until it is, and the case is made. It's not that Victor would have to go in front of a judge. It's that Victor and Sean would have to agree that that gets done, and they don't seem to be agreeing on anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, GU, uh, if the whole action was taken in by opposing legal teams during your confrontation with the biker in part three, would you have been worse off from a legal perspective? What? The question. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I just like that it brought up the uh, the biker in part three. If the um, bikers had lawyers, so <laughs> I'd still beat them. Uh, exactly. And uh, my my personal favorite here, now I've read all these questions, is uh, is from this uh, guy in, uh, on Twitter named Larry. And he wants to know, why did you agree to be on this podcast? Uh, yeah, that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually what everyone asks uh, right at the end. Like, well, why did I come <laughs> on here? <laughs> so, uh, oh. thank you, though. It's very cool. And uh, we'll do it again before 13 years, hopefully. Okay. All right. Or every 13 years. I don't know. Maybe that's what okay. Well, I'll put it on the calendar for right. 2031. Hey, uh, look at it right now. All right. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks, Neil. Thanks. Okay. Bye. See you. Bye. bye. We're going to kill that girl. One, two, three, four. I saw her walking down the street. I jumped down. I knocked her off. Back.
What's up, everybody? This is V.C. Dupree, Julius from Friday the 13th, Jason Takes Manhattan. And you listen to the hottest horror radio joint this side of Crystal Lake. Without your head, horror radio. <laughs> hey, guys. This is Nasty Neil back here at Without Your Head. Uh, sorry for any technical problems during the interviews. Uh, hopefully we'll get those ironed out in the future. But a huge thanks to both our guests tonight. Larry Zerner making his return after 13 years, and Maurizio Guarini of Goblin. Uh, looking forward to uh, to that Dante's Inferno, the original 1911 uh, silent film with the live score by Maurizio. That's going to be pretty sweet. Uh, Larry, I'm looking forward to seeing him in these horror movies. And... Uh, I was glad he came on and explained uh, the Victor Miller situation. And thanks, everyone out there in the, in the Twitterverse for uh, sending in questions. It's something I don't normally ask for. I'm going to start doing in the future. So if you're listening to the show, subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Twitter and all that stuff uh, on Facebook. And uh, in the future, we'll ask for some questions and you guys can send them in. It's good times. So uh, we'll be back next Thursday. I'm not sure who the guest will be yet, actually. Um, but uh, stay tuned. Check out Without Your Head. Maybe it'll just be Troina. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, big thanks to uh, the Jasons, who are music of the month here on Without Your Head. I thought it was fitting because Friday is Friday the 13th. So if you're in, the, if you're in Arizona, definitely go to Mad Monster. It's like uh, my favorite convention and uh, it's an amazing lineup. Let me uh, get this up. I know it's it's kind of late since it's uh, like tomorrow or two days from now, but uh, you still have time if you're in the area. You can head on out to Mad Monster. Let's see here. Uh, for guests, we have uh, Michael Bean from Aliens and the Terminator. Also, Jeanette Goldstein from Aliens and Near Dark. Uh, both pretty awesome guests. We have uh, Ronnie Blakely from A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, the, the mother. Uh, Brooke Bundy from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4. Eugene Clark of Land of the Dead, uh, Great Zombie. You can uh, listen or watch, or both, uh, my video interview with Eugene Clark from Mad Monster earlier this year. Noveen Crumble from Friday the 13th, The Game. Crumby, I'm sorry. Uh, it's Noveen Crumby. Uh, Christine Elise from Child's Play 2. 
Robert England, a little-known horror actor from, uh, he's Freddy Krueger, folks. William Forsyth, one of my favorite actors. Even though he no-showed the show, I still am a big fan of William Forsyth. Danny Ca- uh, Danny Hassel of Friday Thir- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 and 5, excuse me. Lance Henriksen from uh, all kinds of stuff. He's the man. Aliens, Near Dark, my favorite Pumpkinhead. Uh, Kane Hodder from Friday 13th. Uh, I believe he's in more of the Jasons. Than anyone. I know he is in more Jasons than anybody else. Everyone knows who Kane Hodder is. Uh, Andrus Jones from Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Tuesday Night from Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Terrifiers, Damien Leone, the director, and David Howard Thornton, the clown himself art. Their first ever appearance at a convention. Very cool. Tyler Maine of uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. Tom Matthews of Friday the 13th Part... What is it, Part 4? No. Uh, what number is he? Jason lives. Jason lives. Leatherface, R.A. Mihailov. He's the man. Toy Newark from A Nightmare on Street Part 4. Mitch Pelegi from Shocker. Felissa Rose of Sleepaway Camp. Jennifer Rubin, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Tom Savini. He's a, a legend. If you don't know him, I don't know why you're listening to the show. Alex Vincent of Child's Play. D. Wallace of The Howling and E.T. And this is an amazing guest. Lisa Wilcox, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and 5. Joanne Willett of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Amanda Wiss of Nightmare on Elm Street. And the man we just talked to, Larry Zerner. It's a really big lineup, so uh, sounds like a great time. Let's see. There's a costume contest. Uh, there's a charity by Scares of Care. There's panels and screenings of movies. There's a Camp Blood scavenger hunt. Cosplay Sunday. And, of course, the Miss Monster pageant. And Scaryoke, which I'm a big fan of Scaryoke. I like the scary. Okay, I like to sing uh, Monster Mash. That's probably my go-to tune. I like it. I like it a lot. So that's a good time. Uh, so anyway, go over to uh, facebook.com slash group slash without your head horror and uh, search for without your head on all the other social media sites and follow us. It's a good time. Uh, the man who did our original theme song, well, not our original theme song, but our original, uh, our original, original theme is, uh, Strange Nocturnal, and he's got a new, uh, tune out, Gothamania, so, uh, check that out. I think, I, uh, people even posted some questions here. Um, Satanist is uh, premiering in L.A. this August. I don't have a lot of details, but so if you want to uh, want me to plug anything here on the show, uh, send in some details so I know what's going on. Uh, the new horror flick, Cynthia, has Sid Haig, Robert Lasorda, and other cool actors, and is directed by Kenny K- Gage and Devon Downs. Uh, that was said by H. A.H. Scott. Alul wants to know, which version of It would you have preferred to see the underage gang bang scene in? Uh, I feel like if I answer this, I'm going to be like put on some type of list. I do have an answer in my head. 
but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. The new one. The new one. So anyway, uh, Neil Blomkamp. Blomkamp. I, know, I don't know how you say his name, but I see his name all over the place. Um, he's going to direct the Robocop and return the Robocop. It's very cool because uh, everyone was really uh, wanting him to do the new Alien, and, and he's been doing some wild shorts, and the Alien thing fell through, and he got those terrible new ones. And so it's cool to see him behind, you know, a, an iconic character. And I think it's something he could really sink his teeth into. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm a person who didn't mind the remake of uh, RoboCop. I don't think it's as good as the original uh, by any means. The original is a much better movie than I think. I don't, I don't want to say much better the movie than what people think because it does have a great following. But I do think for people who don't know a lot about RoboCop, there's a lot more to it than just the... Uh, a guy shooting people. It's a it's a very good movie. I definitely uh, recommend checking it out. Uh, there's a new trailer out for Tales from the Hood 2, which I am very excited about. Uh, I love the the first movie. I'm a big fan of anthologies, and I'm looking forward to part two. Uh, the Poo Poo Geist is another trailer out there. It's just uh I've got to be honest. I, I like, like, great horror movies like uh, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and Psycho. And and I like uh, fun horror movies like Creep Show and America World in London. And there I do like some really dumb horror movies. Uh, not like... There has to be something entertaining about them. I can be entertained by many different movies. That doesn't mean I think... The Poo Poo Geist is going to be, you know, the next coming of The Shining. But I do think it looks fun. The Poo Poo Geist. It's about uh, shit. Like, uh, haunted shit. It's like, there's poop, there's turds in the house, and then a big giant shit ghost, monster, whatever it is, comes out of the toilet. I approve. Itsy Bitsy, a big giant spider horror movie. It looks good. I think it looks good. It's not as silly as some other uh, giant spider movies of the past, like Big Ass Spider. It looks pretty creepy. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people like myself are creeped out by spiders. So the idea of a big giant spider in your tub is pretty creepy, I have to say. What else is going on? I do want to thank all you fine people who send in questions here on the Twitter. Uh, I did miss a couple. Uh, this one just to send, what was it like working with Richard Brooker and how difficult was shooting in 3D? Uh, a lot of this stuff was covered in our first interview, and I try not to repeat questions. So if you're wondering why I didn't ask a lot about uh, the movie, it was really covered in depth in our first interview. So you can listen to that. And this new one was very fun. But uh, I'm sorry I missed this one as well by Thomas Otterman. Have you ever played any real practical jokes on anyone? And if so, what was it that you did and why? So I'm going to save both of these questions for 2031 for the return of Shelley here. So it was Larry Zerner. He's going to be like our Pennywise. He just goes, I think Pennywise isn't 13, but we're going to every 13 years. Larry Zerner returns the show. This is pretty crazy to think about. The first time we had Larry Zerner on, I was in my 20s. And now I'm in my 40s. I don't know if that's cool or just sad. Man, I've really wasted my life. Wasted all my 30s on this. Wasted, <laughs> wasted my youth. All right. You know, I got to say this. 
I'm a huge fan of Terry Gilliam. I love almost all his movies. I've read books, you know, that he's written. I've read books about his movies. I've watched documentaries about them. And, but it saddens me that he's turning such old grump. You know, he's out there, you know, bitching about superhero movies. And, you know, if you don't like a superhero movie, you know what? You don't have to go see them. There's plenty of movies out there that I think look terrible. And I just don't go see them. I don't sit around bitching about them. I don't moan about it. I'd be like, why is there another uh, Fast and the Furious movie? I've never seen one of them. But there's clearly people out there who like them. So good for them. They put them out. They're going to go see them. I understand that. I don't like the Transformers movies. I saw the first one. I hated it. So I, I never seen, you know, one after that. I never saw the, uh, those sparkling ghost, uh, sparkling vampire movies. I've never seen, uh, 50 shades, you know, any of those, they all look awful to me, but I may make fun of them here and there, but I don't sit here and just, you know, complain and complain all the time. So, you know, if you don't like, obviously, people like these Marvel movies, and they go to see them. I'm not saying you have to like them, but obviously, people dig them. So, they go and see them. So, Terry Gilliam is bitching about Tell people to grow up, which is very odd, because it's, all his movies are fantasies. And uh, maybe there's more to his movies. Obviously, there is. They're, they're great movies. But at the same time, I mean, they're not like, uh, not all of them are very sophisticated films. Whatever anyone's art is, is their art. That's how I see it. So anyway, then now he's like, he's going on talking shit about Alien. And then it's just like, come on, man. You're just being, just being foolish at this point. Alien's a fantastic movie. And he makes he, you know, the argument that it's like a, a ghost ship kind of, uh, you know, and the monster pops out and eats people. And that's what it is. It is a horror movie in space, but doesn't mean it's a shit movie. And I know this is all opinion, but... I just think going after something, a classic film like Alien, is that's just kind of silly on his part. I mean, it's uh, one of my favorite movies. Craziness. So don't be such a grump, Terry Gilliam. I know you're old. I'm a fan of yours. But I don't like y'all grumpy. Smile a little bit. Enjoy yourself. Bunch of grumps. Bunch of grumps out there. So I went to see uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I know it's not horror, but uh, I was not a huge fan of the first Ant-Man. But I have to say, this one took everything that I liked and I thought worked in the first movie, which was the comedy and the very fun action. where the, It's very creative with the growing and the shrinking of, of objects. And this one is the whole movie is the stuff that I liked of the of the first move, of the first film, and no like slow parts. And I'm I'm not someone who has to have nonstop action or anything, but I think in this movie uh, they did a very good job. Also, the comedy works in this, and it works in some of the other movies. Uh, it's a comedy that undercuts every like dramatic scene, which does get on my nerves in other films. But there's a place for it. And in this movie, it works because that is the vibe of the film. It didn't work for me in the uh, episode seven of Star Wars, for example. But uh, I really dug it. It's uh, it's just a fun film. So if you want to have a good time, I would recommend it. 
it's not, you know, it's not Goodfellas, but it's it's a fun movie. And, you know, sometimes you just want a fun movie. So go and check it out. I had a good time. I had a good time. I also had a great time. Uh, Friday, uh, Monday, I'm sorry. I went to see the, um, oh, my God, Apocalypse Now and 35 millimeter. And I must have seen the movie a dozen times, but uh, seeing it on, I've never seen it on the big screen. Totally different experience. Uh, I highly recommend uh, supporting your local theaters and going out there, especially when they're uh, the art house theaters or uh, you know places show these old movies. And I was very happy to see the place was packed because you know that means people are out there and watching these classic movies, and they're going to do more of them. That was at the Brattle Theater in Brookline. And if you're not in Brookline, if you're not in Boston, uh, check around. You might have your own type of theater like that in the area. So, good times. we get some more stuff here. Uh, Harrison mentions that uh, that Larry makes a kick-ass cameo in Death House. Very cool. I'm really looking forward to, to Death House. I've not had a chance to see it. I'm not really sure why. But, uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Um, there's going to be an interview. I already recorded it, so it could be up probably tomorrow or Friday. I was trying to spread these out a little bit. But I recorded an interview with uh, Russell Jeffrey Banks, who returned to the show, who was uh, amazing in um, new um, serial, killer movie out, serial killer movie out right now. And that's uh, Who's Watching Oliver. And if you guys uh, remember, we had him on the show... It was either the beginning of this year or the end of last year. It was, around, you know, it was either end of 2017 or the beginning of 2018. And uh, it's a great time. And we had him back on the show. And we talked about the movie now that it's released. And just talked about a bunch of stuff. So uh, it's a really fun interview. And highly recommend the movie. Check it out. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank all the guests. I want to thank the Music of the Month. I want to thank Chris Kane. Uh, I want to thank uh, Mike Terry. He's a good man, good supporter of the show. I want everybody know uh, myself and Jason Mitten will be in London coming up in August 22nd to the 29th for Fright Fest. And uh, we'll be in the area for, for the week doing some other stuff. So if you're in England or if you're going to come to England, uh, hook, uh, hook up with us. Uh, send a message to one of us or both of us on Facebook or email without your head at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to get together with as many people as possible while we're there. It's my, both our first time in England, possibly our last time, but you never know. But uh, while we're there, I'd like to uh, meet some uh, former guests on the show, uh, people listening to the show, you know, friends uh, of the show, and uh, it'll be a good time. So do that. Uh, Jason Mitten, by the way, does the Watching Movies reviews on Without Your Head. Go over to watch, uh, withoutyourhead.com, and there's a link right at the top to watching movies. He's got one out now from Mad Genius. Oh, The Purge, which I actually want to talk about. Uh, Ouija Seance, Dark and Ditties, both of those, which are very cool shorts from uh, shorts, but more like a 45-minute, like not really a short, I guess. Um, like an episode of a show, I believe, uh, from England are excellent. I really enjoy them. So The First Purge, uh, I'm not been a fan of the purge i always loved the idea of the purge i think it's a great idea a great concept and i never thought they really delivered very well and so i went to see the new purge and i thought by far the best of the purge movies 
And I've seen some people hating it. And I think a lot of the reason they hate it is the reason I liked it. Um, it's very political, uh, filled with social commentary uh, uh, for today. I always feel that uh, the best of science fiction or fantasy or or horror, or, you know, genre films, genre stories, it, it, at the heart of it is social commentary. And uh, this one definitely is. And really the whole idea always is. And so I always think they kind of miss that. And it's just kind of a typical action horror movie. Like uh, the first one really is just a home invasion movie. There are some, you know, political things, but they don't go into them as much. And I find that much more interesting. And so, you know, I've seen people saying it's uh, race baiting and things. And I don't, I don't believe it is. I think it's really about class warfare, you know, uh, the, the clash of the classes, uh, the haves, the haves not, the, the rich, the poor. These things have been going on for centuries. And I uh, really dug it. And I'm actually very much looking forward to uh, the TV show. So if you go see it, stay for the the um, the uh, the credits. Not till the very, very end. There's no like after credit scenes, but there are during the credit scenes. So uh, stay for those. I, I really recommend it. So if you like me and like kind of the political uh, uh, commentary in the movie... If you look that, if you like that kind of stuff, I definitely dig it. If you don't, you just want to watch something and not like, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. Like Ant Man and Wasp is the movie I just go and have fun and watch. It's not something that's really going to teach me anything. So if you don't want that in your movie, if you do, if you don't want you know any type of commentary, uh, it might not be for you. But uh, it was definitely for me, and I recommend it. I was happy to see a, a very good Purge movie. First Purge. It's weird because I mentioned the first Purge and so many people think I mean the first movie, but I do not. I mean the first Purge. Alright, so I'm going to get out of here, but until uh, next week, if you have any questions, comments, uh, stuff you want to hear us talk about on the show, maybe a question. It could just be a funny question. It could be a serious question, whatever. Uh, post it on the Facebook page or send me an email at withoutyourhead at gmail.com if you'd like your independent film uh, reviewed or anything like that, send that over. But beware, it will be an honest review, but it will be a fair review. It's not like they say this blows or, you know, but we will be honest. We'll be honest in our thoughts of the movie. All right. So thanks, everybody. This is Nasty Neil. Terrible Troy cannot be here. We're normally on Thursday nights. Tonight we're on Wednesday. Next week we will be back on Thursday Good night, folks. <laughs> I got something to say.